0: How to Play, episode 30, Twa. Hello and welcome to the How to Play podcast, coming to you from the How to Play studios in Buffalo, New York. This is your host, Ryan Sturm, and this podcast is about learning and teaching games. In each episode, I give an explanation of how to play a game, just as if I was sitting across the table from you and we were about to play the game together. This podcast is intended for use in learning about a game you may not know much about, learning how to play a game by yourself, or to serve as a model on how to explain the rules of this game or others. If you like the show, join and participate in our guild at BoardGameGeek. For more information about all the How to Play podcast episodes, the corresponding teaching guides, and the discussion forums, refer to the How to Play Geek list, for which you can find a link there at the guild. You can also check out our website, www.howtoplaypodcast.com where you can support the show with a PayPal donation. And I can be contacted at the Guild on BoardGameGeek or directly at my email address, howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Ryan Sturm. And today, due to a vote there on the How to Play Geek list, the winner, by just a few votes, was this game, Twa. If you would like to get involved in picking the future games on the How to Play podcast, go check out that geek list. Uh, There's a link to it there at the Guild. So today is August 17th, 2011. And instead of enjoying the beautiful August weather today, I am down in the How to Play studios, locked in until I complete this recording here for you. That is my love for you, the How to Play listener. So that's right, we are covering Twa. Uh, This game is spelled T-R-O-Y-E-S, and so a lot of people, when they first see it, they immediately say Troyes because, you know, here in America, we get used to that oi sound. We just love things like Detroit, but since it's a French city, it is Troyes. So, you know, if you want to sound more cultured, I really suggest you take that O-Y sound and, and make that wah sound, you know, no matter what word you're using. I do it all the time. It makes me sound much more cultured. For example, if you were out at the park, you could say, hey, everyone, look at that BOIS playing with the TOIS." And since he is allergic to regular milk, his milk must be made out of SWAP beans. And everybody just is so impressed and they, they fawn over you and, and get you glasses of Pinot Noir. And it's really just fabulous. So from now on, replace all your OYs with the wah sound. And uh, people will be very impressed. So this is a very new game. This came out this year. And it's still a little bit hard to get. But I, from what I understand, more copies are becoming available. It was published by Z-Man Games here in 2011. The uh, French designers, it looks like, will not thank me for the pronunciation of their names, but I'll give it a try. We've got Sebastian Dujardin, Xavier Georges, and Hélène Orban. I did my best with those gentlemen. Thank you for this great game. You know, since it is so new, I've I've played the game four times, but I've really enjoyed my planes of it thus far. It plays with between 2 and 4 players and scales very well for either 2, 3 or 4. It's got about a 90 minute time frame. So a nice weight, you know, it's pretty heavy game in those 90 minutes. So I really like this game. I don't know if I love it yet. It's uh, I'll have to play it a couple more times, see if it's going to make that top 50. It's got a very innovative use of dice. You, everyone rolls dice, but you're not really at the mercy of dice. The dice just give you the different set of options that you have. Now it's nice to roll higher dice, but you're not going to be pinned into a corner if you just roll low dice, you have some other options. It has this really neat cooperative mechanism, even though it's a competitive game, there's one element of the game in which the players can do something that helps all the players, which is pretty unique. And due to the nature of the game, there are these activity cards and only 9 out of the 27 are used in each game. So in each play, you're going to have different ones of these tradesmen's in play and that's going to make for a different experience each time, which is pretty nice. It has a, an interesting thematic integration. It's not real themey, but you can tell there's definitely a connection and there was some thought put into how are we going to match the theme of what's going on with the use of these dice. Yes. Who won't like this game? Well, you know, it's it's not chock full of theme. It's definitely a Euro game, so people who enjoy Euro games are, are going to like this one in general. It is a bit of an optimization game. There's, there's a bit of that, you know, just trying to figure out your best move in order to score you the most points, and if that doesn't appeal to you, then this game isn't probably going to be for you. There's a little bit of nastiness in the game in that players can steal other players' dice and that all players roll the dice and you can use the dice from the other players, taking it away from them. So if uh, stealing things from other players is something that turns off the players in your game, they may have an issue with that. It's a very fine game, worth picking up, worth giving a shot. Let's talk about the complexity rating. This game is a black diamond. You know, it reminds me a little bit of when we did the Reef Encounter episode. It is complex, but it's not as complex as the rule book might lead you to believe. I don't think the translation was very great in that rulebook, and it just isn't set up very well for someone who's trying to learn the game for the first time. So maybe I can help you a bit with that. But it is definitely a gamer's game. But at the same time, many of the mechanics are intuitive, and with a well-organized explanation, players will catch on to the basics. But you know, I think the strategy of the game. This is one of those games. It it takes a game to start to get better at that game and be able to play it more. effectively so twa is a black diamond so let's get into our hook which is our intro then the meat and the hamster with some basic strategy if at all possible try to have the board and some of the cards there in front of you if you have the game that's the best situation if not get online look at the board look at the cards so you have an idea of what we're looking at here to help you with your understanding Alright, let's get into this. I want to thank everybody for your contributions recently. I've had some donations. If you haven't donated yet, I'd really appreciate your support. In fact, maybe at the end of this episode, I can give a shout-out by name of all the people who have donated to the How to Play podcast. I did have one donation who had a request, and his his request was for Less Silly Voices. Uh... You know, sometimes when you're you're in the How to Play studios by yourself, you know, you have to start talking to yourself in silly voices in order to keep yourself entertained. So um, for this episode only, just for you, sir, I will not do any silly voices during this episode. But I'll tell you what I did. I took your donation and I invested it in a software package of 3,000 sound effects. Oh, yes, yes what is that is there a sheep here in the how to play studios oh no oh no there's a sheep oh Oh! there's chickens down here too oh it's starting to rain it's raining down here can you believe it my laptop is going to get all damaged oh i'm gonna need more donations because uh, i'm gonna need to buy it looks like the rain the rain has stopped great okay we can continue with the episode let's get to the hook Part 1. The Hook. What the game is about. Welcome to Trois. In this game, you represent an influential family in France in medieval times. Attempting to make your mark in the development of this great city. When you make various contributions to the development of the city, you earn victory points and the family with the most points by the last round will win the game. This game takes place over four to six rounds, and in each round, each player will start that round with a handful of dice. For example, in a four-player game, players each start the game with four dice. All players will throw their dice at the same time and place those dice in their section in the center of the board. Then players will take their turns. They take turns by selecting actions using one to three of the dice and taking those dice off the board. Players can use their own dice for free. Or you can pay other players for the privilege of using their dice. The round will continue with each player using one to three of the dice in that common dice pool until all the dice have been used or until no one wants to use any of the remaining dice. Then the round ends. Players re-roll their dice and do the whole process over four to six rounds, depending on the number of players. On their turn, players will use one to three dice of the same color to either earn money, build the cathedral, (laughs) fight enemies, (laughs) use activity cards, or increase their workforce. The yellow dice or peasants specialize in earning you money the white dice or clergy specialize in allowing you to build the cathedral for influence and victory points the red dice or the nobles specialize in allowing you to fight enemies for influence and victory points all three colors of dice may be used to activate different activity cards which are commonly used to earn or convert the three major resources of gold, influence points, or victory points. All three colors of dice may also be used to increase your workforce. Meaning the number of dice that you get to roll in the following turns. But the end goal is simple. Acquire the most victory points, which is accomplished mainly through building the cathedral, fighting enemies, and using activity cards. At the end of the final round, the player with the most points will win and be named the most famous and influential family in Twa. Part 2. The Meat. How to play the game. Okay, so this game, like a lot of these games, has a lot of phases and such, but really the heart of the game and most of the big decisions happen in this action phase. So I'm going to go over this action phase first and the different things you can do in that action phase, and then we'll go back and go through the whole flow of the game. The Action Phase. So this is really the big part of the game, like I described. In a four-player game, everybody's gonna get four dice, and you'll roll those dice, they'll be red, white, or yellow, and then place them in your section. There's a big circle in the center of the board, and you'll put your dice in your section to show that those are your dice. But there'll be a big circle of available dice, And the players will take turns taking one, two, or three of those out of the circle in order to take actions. There will also be a couple neutral dice that don't belong to anyone at the beginning of the game. And they'll go in their own little neutral wedge. So we're going to go over what you can do with your one, two, or three dice. All of the dice can be used to hire these tradesmen or also to increase your workforce. And some of the dice have specific abilities based on what color they are, whether they are red, white, or yellow. But to get into it first, let's talk about tradesmen. Each game will have 9 out of the possible 27 activity cards used in that game. And what the activity cards do is they show the players which tradesmen are available in that game because players have the capability to place their meeples onto these activity cards so that they can become tradesmen and use whatever that special ability that that card grants. So the activity cards show you the different possible tradesmen or special abilities that the players can get. And in the setup of the game, for each section, there are three possible tradesmen that could come out. So you're going to shuffle those out, and in turn one, you're going to have one of three possible red tradesmen, one of three possible white tradesmen, and one of three possible yellow tradesmen. The same thing will happen in the second and third rounds. You're going to get a new red, white, and yellow tradesmen marked as the round two tradesmen and they get a little bit more powerful as they go from one two and three so these cards will come out in the first turn we'll have a red a white and a yellow card and they are called activity cards and essentially what they are is occupations that you can give to your workers The four dice that you have, they're going to be red, white, or yellow. And that represents sort of the people that you have under your control in the village. If you have yellow dice, then those are peasants. If you have white dice, then those are clergy. And if you have red dice, those are nobles. And each of the tradesmen, red, white, and yellow, have special abilities sort of based on what color they are. The red ones generally help fight with the enemies. The white ones usually uh, impact your own dice, or they help you with that cathedral. And the yellow dice, a lot of times those peasants earn you money. But in order to use that ability, you have to first learn that occupation. Learning an occupation requires a citizen. So you have these dice, and the dice give you the ability to take actions. But another resource that you have is the number of citizens that you have, and these are simply meeples. Your meeples, or your citizens, can go in essentially two different spots. There are yellow, white, and red boxes on the board, and that represents meeples that give you dice. So, for example, if you have two meeples in the red box, that's going to allow you to roll two red dice. In the setup of the game, we're going to take turns placing our meeples into the red, white, and yellow boxes to determine what colors of four dice that we're going to roll. So for example, you might have two meeples in the red box, one in the white, and one in the yellow. And so you'd roll two red, one white, and one yellow dice to begin that first round. So the first place those citizens can go is into those red, white, and yellow boxes. The second place they can go is to become tradesmen. And when you have a meeple on a tradesman card or an activity card, you are able to use that ability. To start the game, you're not going to have any of those. So one of the things you might do for your action is to get one of your citizens and make it into a tradesman. Why do you want to do that? For two important reasons. Reason one is once you get a meeple onto one of these tradesman cards, you're able to use that ability over and over again throughout the game. But the second reason is having tradesmen at the end of the game gives you victory points. Let's look at a sample activity card. If we look at the yellow activity card called the Merchant, it has a gold coin with a four in it, and then two spots with the victory point symbol on it, a 2 and a 1. This means that the first person to play a citizen there is going to get two victory points at the end of the game. The second person is going to get one victory point at the end of the game. A third person can put a meeple in there to use that ability, but they just wouldn't get any victory points. But the main reason you want to go to these guys is so that you can start using their ability. Now the first time, when you place a meeple onto this activity card, you're going to buy the use of that activity card, and you're also going to activate that activity card all in one. This requires several resources. You need a citizen, you need gold, and you're going to need to spend dice to take that action. First of all, you need a citizen. You start the game with no free citizens. They're all in your stockpile. Every player will have a stock of meeples but they won't have any of them to start the game. If you want one of those, you're going to have to spend two influence points in order to get a citizen. You start the game with four influence, so you'll be able to get a couple of those guys right off the bat. You can also always take one of your meeples off the board to use it somewhere else. Now, normally, you're penalizing yourself by doing this. For example, if you took a meeple out of that red box, you'd be losing a red die in following rounds. So this generally would be very bad unless it was the end of the game. You also could pick up one of your tradesmen you've already played, but again, you've spent money in order to get that guy there, so it's usually a bad play. So first of all, you need a guy, and normally you just spend the two influence to get one from your stock. Next, you need money. There's a price in gold there on the card. Well, they're not actually gold, they're dinier, But for sake of simplicity, I'm going to call the money gold. So you need the citizen to influence, you need the gold. In the case of the merchant, the price is $4. And then you place your citizen on, since you're the first guy there, you can place the meeple right over that two victory points, so you'll score two VPs at the end of the game if he's still there. Now, what does he do for you? Well, as you can see, in the bottom of the card, there's the yellow dice symbol divided by two, and then an arrow to two gold. This means for every two yellow pips you spend, you can make two money. Now, I have to immediately use that merchant. On a turn, you must spend some of the dice. That means take some of the dice from the center of the board and pull them off the board to use them. It has to be one to three dice of the same color. Since the merchant is a yellow activity card, he requires yellow dice to use. I could use one, two, or three. Say I had a yellow 6. I could spend the yellow 6. So I have a 6. 6 divided by 2. For every 2 pips, the merchant gives me 2 gold. So I spend the 6 die. I take that off the board. 6 divided by 2 is 3. So I get to use that ability 3 times. The ability is to earn 2 money. 3 times 2 is 6. I earn 6 gold for doing that action. So that cost me... Two influence to get the guy, four gold to place the guy, and one die to use the action. Now, when it comes around again, since I have a guy there, I get to keep that guy there for the rest of the game. So now I could just go ahead and use that ability again, just by spending dice. I don't have to spend the gold or the influence again. Say I had two more fours in my region. I could take those two dice, it's a total of eight pips, and say I'm going to use the merchant. Take those dice off the board... Eight pips divided by two is four. I get to use that ability four times. Four times two is eight gold. That earns me eight gold. And then in future rounds, I can use this merchant again and again as a good way to earn money. I just take yellow dice and turn them into money. And at the end of the game, I'm going to get points for that merchant. So you can see how these activity cards will be useful. And that's how a lot of those activity cards work. You spend the dice and usually they give you resources or they let you convert some of the resources. For example, converting gold into influence or something like that. Now some of the tradesmen have abilities which let you pump up future actions. And how these work is you don't actually get anything when you do the action except for charge cubes onto that activity card. And what that will let you do is in a future action, Pump up a future action. Let me give you an example. A lot of the white cards specifically use this charge cube ability. One of the level 1 white activities cards is the priest. Ah. The priest costs 6 money. You have to get a guy, you put him on there. And for every 3 white pips you spend, you get a charge cube. For example, I could spend a white 6 and get 2 white charge cubes on the priest which would do nothing right then but give me those charge cubes. In a future action, I can spend that charge cube to get the priest ability. The priest ability is to add 3 to each of the yellow dice in your action. So say, for example, I had two fours for a total of 8. I could spend a charge cube from the priest to get 8 plus 3 plus 3, since there's two dice there, for a total of 14. So what the priest lets you do is pump up your yellow dice in future abilities. So those charge cubes let you do special things like that. They pump up dice. One of them lets you steal dice from other players in a future action. They let you get a future ability. And that's the most complex action in the game, is getting a citizen and making it into a tradesman. When you do that, you have to take the action immediately by spending dice. So it costs you influence to get the citizen or a citizen from the board, gold, and then you have to spend one to three dice. In future turns, you could use any of the tradesmen you already have and just spend the dice on them. So like in round three or four, I might have, say, three of these tradesmen's available to me. And now I have these dice, and I can just cash those dice in to use some of the different abilities I have created for myself. But let's look at some of the other actions you can do with your dice. You can use a die to increase your workforce, or allow you to roll more dice in future turns. And that involves those red, white, and yellow boxes I mentioned earlier. These boxes are called the principal buildings. We have the bishopric, which is the box which gives you white dice or clergy. We have the count's palace, which is the red box, which gives you red dice or nobles. And we have the city hall, which is the yellow box, which gives players yellow dice or peasants. Each of these boxes has six bases. Let's look at the bishopric first. Let's say I want to get another white die. The bishopric is set up in two rows of three, and players are going to have some citizens there in their color showing what dice they get to roll uh, of white dice for each turn. Now the rows are very important. The first row is labeled with a die symbol 1, 3, 5. The second row is labeled with die symbols 2, 4, 6. If I want to get another meeple into that bishopric, essentially allowing me to roll one more white die next turn, I need to spend a white die. So say I spent a white one. I would grab a white one off the board, take it off. Now I need a meeple, or a citizen, so I can pull it from somewhere on the board, but normally I would spend two influence and slide back on the influence track two to get one of my citizens and slide it on the leftmost spot Now, I would slide it down to the right and push it down. And as you can see, anyone the furthest to the right is going to get knocked out of that row. And that player is going to lose a die in the next round. That meeple gets placed flat on his face because he is sad. He's going to sit there and cry like a little baby. Boo-hoo-hoo. I got kicked out of the bishopric. Say my friend got his orange meeple just kicked out of the bishopric. Well, he's going to get one less white die in the following round. But there is an upside. Remember those times when I wanted a meeple? If I want a meeple and I've got a guy lying there, I can just pick him up and take him and use him, either to place on one of those activity cards... Or to place in one of those white, red, or yellow boxes to make sure I get another die with him next round. And he's free. I don't have to pay influence for him. The other thing he can do is he could offer me some protection. Because you can only get kicked out of each building once. So say my friend had another orange meeple on that second row on the last spot. If someone were to play a die in order to kick a second orange meeple out, that is illegal and that move is not allowed. So that player might decide to just leave that orange guy down there to offer protection so he doesn't get kicked out of the white box again. Now at the end of the round, any players who have meeples lying on their bellies crying like babies in the white, yellow, or red building, they get those meeples back and they don't go to the stock. They go to their supply, meaning right there in front of them, which means they can use them in the next round and they don't have to pay influence for them. But let's review how that works. If I want another white die, say I had a white four, I would need a citizen. I'd pay two influence to get a citizen. Then I'd take that citizen and I would put him in the leftmost spot and slide him down to the right. It's going to kick somebody out. He lies down on his belly crying like a little baby. <coughs> And I'm in the first spot of that row, meaning I'm the most protected. And next round, I will get another die. The City Hall, the yellow box, and the Count's Palace, the red box, work similarly, but a little bit different. The City Hall is set up in three rows with two spots. The first row, you need a one or a six to go on that row. Next is a two and a five, and the next is a three and a four. So the rows are shorter. But you need a more specific die in order to get kicked out. And the Count's Palace, guess what? Has six individual spots for one, two, three, four, five, and six. There are no rows. So there is one spot there for a five. So if someone rolls a red five, they would kick somebody immediately out of the red five spot, and you would take the red five spot. So the white box is set up in two rows of three, the yellow box in three rows of two, and the red box is, I guess, six rows of one. So that's what you do to increase your workforce. You take one die, you get a citizen, usually by spending two more influence, you go to the front of the row, you push someone down a row, and you usually kick somebody out. All right, so all the dice do those things. You can use them to get an activity card, to utilize a tradesman that you've already established or to increase your workforce in the red, yellow, or white boxes. Now let's look at some color specific abilities. What's the difference between those yellow, white, and red dice? Alright, so the yellow dice are the peasants. And if you've got nothing better to do with your yellow dice, you can turn your pips into gold. You can spend dice to divide the pips by two and get that much money. So say I had three dice with a total of 14 pips on them. I could take all three of those dice off the board, 14 divided by 2, and earn 7 gold. What do you use gold for? Well, you use gold to establish tradesmen, as we described earlier. But you also can use gold to buy other people's dice during the action phase. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. But gold is an important resource to have. And so using those yellow dice to turn them into gold is not a terrible thing to do. Obviously, like we looked at the merchant, the merchant converts pips to gold on a one-to-one basis. So that's definitely a better ratio. But that's the advantage of establishing those tradesmen. Next, the white dice, the clergy. You can use white dice to build in the cathedral. You want to build in the cathedral because you earn victory points and influence points. Building the cathedral is very simple. You're going to be placing cubes in columns labeled with the dice numbers one, two, three, four, five, and six. So you can take a white two off the board and put your cube in that column. I could use more than one dice. So if I had two threes, I could place two cubes in the three column there. If I had two, four, five, I could place a cube. In the first row, there for the two, the four, and the five. Now, as you'll see, that cathedral is split down the middle between the one, two, threes, and the four, five, sixes. For each cube you place in the cathedral, if you play a one, two, or three, you get a victory point and an influence for every cube you deliver. For the four, fives, and sixes, you get two influence points and one victory point for each cube. So two threes would be worth two influence points and two victory points. Two sixes would be worth four influence points and still just two victory points. So you want to build there because it gives you influence and victory points. And you also want to build there because you get penalized if you don't help build the cathedral. You will notice in each row there is a minus two in that cathedral. Minus two in the first row, minus two in the second row, minus two in the third row. What that signifies is at the end of the game, if you did not contribute at least one cube to each row of the cathedral, then you'll get penalized minus two points. You'll have to pay those back for each row you didn't get into. Now, minus six is pretty harsh because this game, you only score about 30 or 40 points. So you're going to probably want to try to avoid that penalty. So something great to do, if you had three white sixes, you could lay all three cubes in the six column to and then you would be probably set for the game, and you wouldn't have to go there again, unless one of those nasty event cards came out, which we're going to get to. But building in the cathedral is a nice source to get influence, which is an important resource, and gain victory points, which is how you win the game. Next, red dice. Red dice are your nobles. And they're good at fighting. One thing we haven't mentioned yet is that two event cards are going to come up to do nasty things to the city. And these nasty things, they're going to do the nasty things. Not those nasty things, just, you know, nasty things. Not nasty things like Janet Jackson nasty. But they're going to do things anyways that harm all of the players. Now I have that song in my head. I haven't thought about that one for a few years. Anyways, you're going to be trying to defeat these bad cards that are going to come up. The red dice specialize in a couple things, but one of their main uses is in defeating these red cards. Because each turn we're going to get one red card for sure, and the red card will tell us we'll either get a white or a yellow card. So the red dice are good for fighting at least one of the red cards each turn, whereas the white or yellow dice aren't able to fight as many cards. How do you fight cards? Simple. You're simply going to spend dice and you're going to get flags based on the number of pips that you spend. Let's look at an example. Skirmishes is a simple sample event. Skirmishes has three flags on it. That means you need three batches, essentially, to defeat it. It tells you how much each batch requires. There's a symbol that says red dice divided by three. That means for every three red pips you spend, you'll get to place one of your cubes, and when all three flags are covered, then that event has been defeated. So in this case, you need a total of nine pips to defeat the entire card. So if I had a five and a four, I'd say, all right, I'm going to use these nine red pips, get three flags here. This gives me influence and victory points. When you place a cube, the spaces on the event cards have flags on them. For helping defend the city, you earn influence. For each cube that you place, you get an influence on the influence track. When the event is defeated, you also will earn victory points. There's a first place and a second place reward on the card. Skirmishes is a pretty easy one. So first place is two points and second place is one point. Whoever did the most gets the higher value. Now, if you contributed all of it, if I did all three cubes, I would get both first and second place and get three total points. If the players tie for cubes, which this is a bad example, but if I had one with four flags on it and we both had two, we would add the amount of points and divide. If there's a tie for second place, then you divide the points and round down, which oftentimes is zero. The card also goes to the player who had the most cubes that they contributed to it. That card may be worth points at the end of the game. If there's a tie for the number of cubes, the player who fought the event first gets the card as the reward. Again, that may be worth points. So red dice can be used for many of those events, but also some of the events are white or yellow. And in those cases, you would obviously use white or yellow dice to get the flags or the points. There's also one event that's pre-printed on the board there called Marauding, and that happens every turn, and you can continue to fight that. And once it's defeated, you can hand out the victory points, but then it just comes back for the next turn. So that just gives you an outlet for dice. It's for red, white, or yellow. You can put cubes on that Marauding event. Now, red dice have another special ability that we'll get to in just a second. But first, let's review all the things that you can do with your dice during that action phase. All dice can be used to hire and activate a tradesman. Of course, you also need to get a citizen or a meeple by spending influence and spend gold. You can also use red, white, or yellow dice to activate one of those in-play tradesmen or you can use one die to increase your workforce by placing that die and sliding down and kicking someone else's meeple out so you're going to get their die for that next turn, as there's a fixed number of 18 dice in the game. Now, yellow dice can be used to what's called farm. You divide the pips by two and get that much money. You also use them to fight some events. White dice can be used for building in the cathedral, Remember you want to get one in each of the three rows and you get victory points and influence for doing that. And it can also be used to fight some of the events. And red dice are most valuable for fighting those event cards. Now that you know how dice are used, you have a general sense of what we're doing here. Let's back up and go through the full flow of the game. The phases of the game. The first thing we're gonna do to start the game is set up with our initial citizens. In a four-player game, you're going to get four of these guys, and we're going to take turns placing them in the red, white, and yellow boxes so that we each have four different dice to roll. You'll have your randomly determined start player, and they will pick one of the boxes to start in. Remember those red, white, and yellow boxes? The reds are all individuals. The whites are in two rows of three, and the yellows are in three rows of two. So when you're going to place, it's an obvious decision. You want to go furthest to the left in the beginning because those are the safest spots to be in. So say I was chosen as start player, we're in a four-player game. I would begin, maybe I would place in the upper left of the white box because that takes a while to get kicked out of. So I'd place one meeple, second player would place, third player would place, fourth player then would wheel meaning they would get to play two citizens, and it would come back around to me. I would actually get to play four, five, six, seven. I would get to play the eighth meeple then, and then the ninth meeple, because it would wheel back around again. And you would keep bouncing back and forth until everybody has played all four of their spots. Now, in a four-player game, there are 18 spots there available. Four times four is 16. There's two extra spots. There are gray neutral meeples. And so you're going to place those gray neutral meeples in the leftover spots. There is a neutral wedge in the middle of the board. I guess they call that the city district. And usually we have the start player roll for the gray player. And those are dice that are rolled and placed into that gray area. So that's how players start with the four spots that they get to begin the game. Your other meeples are placed to the side because you have to pay for them if you want them. Now you're ready to begin the game. That's the only time that's going to happen. You initially set out how those meeples are to start. Now we're ready to get into the normal phases. First phase is to reveal the tradesmen or activity cards. So you flip over the number one white, red, and yellow card. Remember, each one of those could be one of three that are provided in the game. And players are going to look at those and help decide how they're going to use those to develop a strategy to score some points. Now be aware, there are three stages of these activity cards that come out, but there's going to be more rounds than that. In a four-player game, for example, you're only going to do this for the first three turns. The idea being in that the first three turns, the game sort of builds and players start getting those tradesmen. And then in the later rounds of the game, you'll have some of those tradesmen established, so the game is more about using those abilities that you have than in those last rounds to score the most points. In a three-player game, you only play five rounds. You get more meeples to start with, which means you get more dice, which means you get more actions. So it all kind of balances out nicely. The next phase of the game is to get paid. Everybody gets $10 minus your salaries. What is your salary? Well, those nobles and clergy are expensive. For each noble meeple you have, you lose two from your income. For each clergy you have, you lose one. So say I had two nobles and one clergy. Each noble costs two, the clergy costs one. That's a total of five salaries taken away from my income of ten. I would only make five gold for that turn, so I would get five gold. Players are going to get somewhere between probably three and eight dollars each time, depending on where they have their meeples at. The next phase is called assembling the workforce. This sounds really fancy, but all it means is you roll your dice. So you get your dice based on where your meeples are. Say I had two red and a yellow and a white, I'd get those four dice and I'd roll them up and the start player would roll those neutral dice and then you would place them into your central region so everybody can see the dice that everyone has. Next, we get to the event phase. This is where the bad, nasty stuff, the um, evil, maybe I should, uh, I guess, naughty? No, definitely not naughty. The terrible, the, the horrible, the wretched The wretched stuff, the wretched tragedies, or events, happen to the people in the city. (laughs) (laughs) So this is represented by these event cards. You always start this off with the red event cards. You will count out, there's I think seven or eight in the game, you count out the number based on the number of rounds you're going to have, based on the number of players, and those are the ones you're going to use face down. In the first round, you'll flip one of these up, and then that card will signify to you whether you get a yellow or a white card. So you'll definitely have a red, and you have a 50-50 shot of a yellow or a white card. The color on the card signifies the color of the dice needed to defeat that card. On the bottom of that card tells you the nasty thing that happens. Most likely it will be a black die, or two black dice, or it might be some iconography which will make no sense, so you'll have to look at the player aid. After you flip those, you resolve those. You do all the things on the bottom from left to right. If it has a die on it, you simply give a black die to the start player. Don't roll them until you've gone through and done what all of the events do, because some of them could affect various things. So you go from left to right, you, you do what all the bottom of the events do. Most of them, like I said, add black dice, but some of them make the players pay money. Some of them randomly make you roll a die and put a neutral person into one of those yellow, white, or red boxes and kick someone else out. So they all sort of do nasty things. Also, if a card forces you to pay something, or one of these events makes you do something and you're unable to do it, say you don't have enough money to pay or influence, you pay as much as you can and then you lose two victory points which really stinks. So sometimes it's good to have a couple extra gold or influence going into those event rounds. What do the black dice do? Well, these are essentially bad guys. And so you might have, say, three black dice that the start player has to roll. And these are symbolically the enemies that are attacking the city. And the players, before they do any actions, they're going to have to use the dice that they rolled in order to fight off these enemies. This is the double-edged sword of being the start player. When you're the start player, you get to act first in the action phase, but the bad news is you also have to lead the charge against the enemies. Ah! So say I have the three black dice, I'm the start player, I roll them and I get a three, four, and a five. The start player is then forced to deal with the highest die, so I'm going to have to fight the five. I do that simply by taking a 5 from my pool of dice and spending it, and then I get rid of the 5. The people are happy, and so I get an influence point. If I choose to, as that start player, I'm leading the charge. So I can knock out all of those guys if I want to. If I want to spend seven more pips, I can do that, spend those dice, and get two more influence, and save the day and be the hero. But if I want to be a little more greedy, I can just fight the five, and then pass the dice to the next player in turn order. That player must then deal with the highest die, so they would be faced with having to deal with the four, and they can get rid of the three if they want to. You only have to do the highest die. After that, it's up to you. So if I had that 3, 4, 5, I could, for example, beat the 5 and the 3 and pass the 4 to the next player. But wait! Here's where the red dice become more useful. The red dice are good at fighting. So because of that, in this barbarian phase, you can use the red dice as double. So say I had a red 4. That's worth 8 pips. I could take the 5 and the 3 down with that single red 4, which is nice. So I'm able to use not as many dice, get more influence, and take care of my obligation to beat the bad guys. So that's how those black dice work. The start player rolls them, he has to fight them, the red dice are worth double. He must fight the highest value die, can fight more if he wants, he gets 1 influence as a reward per die he beats, any remaining get past the next person on the left and it continues in this way till all the bad guys are beaten. Now often the person who goes third or fourth might not have to deal with any bad guys, which is good for them, but they're also going third or fourth. Now here's the cooperative competitive thing I was talking about. If the players don't deal with these events, if they don't fight them off and this has happened to me, then you're going to have three events in the first round because you start with the pre-printed one in the second round you're going to have five events and then the third round you have seven events so you could have like six or seven black dice all coming at you and just knocking out all of your dice so it's up to the players how many of those they want to deal with if they want to let them pile up or help to take them down they're probably going to want to take some of them down at least because of the points and influence earned for defeating them One more note about fighting off these enemies, these barbarians. When you are defeating black dice, you're not allowed to use special abilities in order to do that. You can't use your charge cubes or any of your tradesmen. You just simply have to use the dice that are in your district. You just have to use your own personal dice, and you may not use any tradesmen abilities or any charge cubes. Alright, so then we get to the main action phase, where players are taking those different actions that we talked about. Either establishing a tradesman taking the action using an established tradesman getting another guy for the workforce fighting the event cards to get victory points farming to earn gold or using white dice to get cathedrals players will take turns doing that now one thing we didn't talk about is whose dice do you use this is the really cool part about this game you're not limited to just the dice that you rolled you can buy dice in other players districts This adds a very interesting timing element into do I use my own dice first because they're free or do I buy those dice because I know he really wants to use those. Remember, on your turn, you're going to use up to three dice. They have to be the same color. When you buy dice from other players, the pricing is a little bit funky. If I just want to buy and use immediately just one of your dice, The price for that is just two gold. If you want to do a two die or a three die action at once, the price for that gets much steeper. If I want to use your two dice, that costs me four gold for each die. So that's going to cost me eight gold. I'm also allowed to use one of yours and one of mine to do a two dice action at once. But since I'm doing a two dice action, it costs four gold for each die. So if I'm buying two dice from other players and they're not mine, then that would cost four plus four, eight gold. Now if I want to do the most powerful action, which is to do three dice at once, now the price goes up very steeply. It costs six gold per die that I use. So if I only use one of yours and two of mine, then it's six gold. If I use two of yours and one of mine, then it's 12 gold. If I use three dice from other players, that costs 18 gold, which is a lot of money. Now, if you're making a lot of money, that may be something you can do, but usually you're not going to do that too often. Now, remember that neutral player. That's where that neutral player comes in. If you see some of those gray dice that you like, you can pay the money to the bank at those same prices in order to use the dice from the neutral player. So that's how we do the action phase. We take turns, starting with the start player, and going around using one, two, or three of the dice from the board. Remembering that anything you do takes dice off the board. So those dice are going to disappear quick because players are going to want to use two or three if they can so they can get the most dice possible to use for actions because more pips means more things that you can do. Eventually there's going to be slim pickings left. If I don't see anything that I like, or maybe this will happen, you'll run out of money. Because if you don't have money, you can't take any actions unless you have dice left in your own section. If you're out of dice and you're out of money, you're going to be out of luck no matter what you want to do. Or maybe there's just no good options left. Maybe somebody has a yellow one or something, and you just, you don't want to pay them $2 to use that. You get a reward for passing while there's still dice on the board. When you say, I pass, you take two gold and put it in your section of the wedge of the main circle, and it will go around like that. If it comes back to round to your turn again and players are still playing, you get an additional money to put in your section of the circle. The round continues until all the dice are gone, or all the players have passed. And it often may happen that all the dice are gone, everybody uses all the dice, so nobody earns money. Or sometimes it happens that there's you know one die there that nobody wants to use. So in that case, all the players might get $2, or maybe someone will get uh, $3. But that's how the end of the phase works. If you pass while there's still dice on the board, you get 2 bucks. If it gets to be your turn and there's no dice left, then you just get nothing. And that's the end of the round. You take back your evictees, that is the guys face down on their bellies crying because they're little babies. (laughs) You take those guys who got kicked out, you put those in front of you, they're in your personal supply, you get to use those for free in future actions in in the next round. And then you pass the start player every round, which is important, because that changes who gets those advantages and disadvantages. Remember, start player has to fight that first barbarian. (laughs) But he also gets to play first. And that's the flow of the game. Going over it one more time real quick. In the second round, you'd flip up those second round tradesman cards. You'd get your money. Ten bucks minus the salaries. Two for the red dice. One for the white dice. You would roll your dice. Then you would flip two event cards. A red card and then a white or a yellow card. You would resolve all the events. If you didn't beat any in that second round, you might have five events that are all going to do nasty things to you. Then you're going to roll those black dice. The start player will have to fight by spending their dice. Remember, the red dice are worth double. Then you get into that main action phase. You go back to that start player. He gets to start, take that first action by spending one to three dice. He can spend money on other players' dice to use. And we go around until everybody passes. And that's how the game is played influence points okay influence points what are they good for absolutely nothing Uh, no they're actually they're useful for three very useful abilities and we've talked about one of them quite a couple times here and that is getting a new citizen you have citizens in your stock in order to get another one you need to pay to influence and if you don't have influence then you will be sad because you won't be able to get another tradesman or get another die So, a review, where do you get influence from? Well, you get influence from fighting those events, spending pips to beat those cards at the bottom of the board. You also get influence by donating to the cathedral. You get bonus influence when you donate those fours, fives, and sixes. And some of the tradesmen can get you influence as well. But hiring a new citizen isn't all influence points, do. There's two other abilities that can help you mitigate those bad die rolls. You can, whenever you want, and as many times as you want, re-roll a die that you have in your district, in your section, for one influence point. So you can take a chance, spend an influence, and hope that one or a two or a three improves, and hopefully that works out for you. Or, if you have a lot of influence, you can spend four influence points to flip over up to three dice in your district so if you are well versed in six-sided dice you know that ones will turn into sixes and twos will turn into fives and threes will turn into fours and that will make you happy so keep in mind it's an up to so if you don't think you're going to use them all and someone might steal them you might not want to do the full three also keep in mind that you can only mess with your own dice with the influence points you can't re-roll or flip over other players dice You can use those, like I said, multiple times. If you're unhappy with the reroll, you can keep spending that influence so you can see how lucky you feel. But using that ability is nice in order to help improve your options if you have some bad dice. The end of the game. Okay, so that's how the game works. You're going to play four to six rounds and at the end of that, the game is over. And so we need to talk about the final scoring. So there's one more factor of this game we need to talk about the character cards. This is a very interesting aspect of this game. At the beginning of this game, each player is going to get one character card who is going to influence in the final scoring of the game. Now you may be used to that, of having this secret agenda of trying to do one particular thing to earn victory points. This game adds a twist and it's the part of the game that everybody gets the rule wrong, including me the first time I played it. The hidden role, the hidden character, is just not your character. At the end of the game, all players will score for all four characters, and being as there's only six of them, you know what the six different options are, you can try to read the other players by their actions in the game, and try to sort of copy and follow them trying to get the things that they are getting so that you score points like they do. Each character card can earn you 1, 3, or 6 points for having enough of a certain item in the game. It's handy to have that player aid out so everybody can refer to what those different scoring levels are for those different character cards because they need to know not just what's on their card, but they need to know what's on the other cards as they should try to reach some of those levels for the ones they think that their opponents have. In a three or four player game, each player will have one. In a two player game, each player actually gets two of these, so there'll still be four of the six characters in play. So what do these characters score for? The first guy scores for how many citizens you have in the dice boxes. How many dice you would be rolling if the game played another turn. One scores for how many cubes players have built in the cathedral. The next one for how much money the players have left over at the end of the game. Players always ask, is money worth anything at the end of the game? Well, maybe. Check how much other players are hoarding. Another one scores for how much influence players have at the end of the game. This is a tricky one because you don't know whether or not to burn your influence for that last turn, whether or not someone has this card. One scores for the number of tradesmen that you have. That is meeples on those activity cards. And the last one scores for the number of events that you have defeated or earned the event card for. Remember how the person who put the most cubes on an event card got the card? This is why. If this guy comes out, you score for how many of those cards you have in front of you. So this is a really cool element to the game in that you're trying to get stuff, but you're not quite sure which stuff you're getting. But if you keep a careful eye on your opponents, it's not too hard to deduce, especially near the end of the game, what they're going for. There's a couple more elements of final scoring. If you have a cube on an event that wasn't beaten, you get one point for each event that you have at least one cube on. You also go through and you pick up all your meeples on those tradesmen's and then you get points for those. This is the time you would check each row of the cathedral and make sure that each player has at least one cube in each row. If they don't, they lose two points for each row they are missing. And so you total that all up. The victory points you earn throughout the game by converting them uh, from tradesmen or from beating event cards or from donating to the cathedral. You also get points for those tradesmen and the points for the character bonuses minus the points for not building in the cathedral. A few points for having leftover cubes on the events. And the player with the most points is the winner of the game. (laughs) If you don't have the most points, then you are a loser. Part 3. The Hamster. How to win the game. A lot of people approach this game as if they're playing a game that it's not. This is not really a worker placement game. Yes, you start with four dice, and you rolled those dice at the beginning of the game, and you placed those dice in a section that was called your section. But no, those aren't actually your dice. You don't have four dice in this game. You have 18 dice. You really need to look at the big picture. You need to look at the whole circle. You need to look at all of those dice and decide what is your best move first, because those dice are going to disappear quickly. You can't decide, oh, I'll just use these two white dice this turn, and the next turn I'll use my other two yellow dice. Because guess what? Your yellow dice are not going to be there next turn. So you need to decide, what do I need to do now? Knowing that you can use other players, and other players can use your dice. So the dice are going to run out quickly, more quickly than you would think, maybe. So you need to predict which of those dice are going to disappear first, and which is your best move. This is where it becomes important to use multiple dice because when you use two or three dice that prevents you from losing those dice It's also very handy to be that start player because you get first crack at those dice You also might even want to look at the other players and say all right if I were him What would I want to do with these dice and uh, it might give you a little nasty idea of which one to poach Keep in mind that there are three critical resources in this game the money the influence points and dice. You have to try not to run low on any of them. So that means you know, having a yellow guy is probably good because that's going to be able to get you some money. And being able to have a way to get money more than just the farming. The farming doesn't earn you very much money. can be important. You need to continue to earn influence points as influence points give you flexibility in getting more guys or in re-rolling when you have to. And dice... Don't forget to use actions to spend one of your dice to put in the red, white, or yellow box to get another die for the next turn. The number of dice in the game is a zero-sum game. So when one of the other players steal dice, they take them from the other players. If you don't keep in that race, you may find yourself with two or three dice on the last turn, which you really don't want to have, just that few number of dice. Especially when the other players are rolling five or six. So I know it takes an action, and sometimes you don't want to do it, but you have to commit some dice to getting more dice. Don't forget about your influence points. Those can be so critical And looking at that dice saying, I just can't do what I want to do. Well, re-roll the dice, dummy. You have that ability. Don't forget. And sometimes the most wise move is, even though you don't want to cash in for, flipping them can be a very powerful ability. The other thing not to forget is that you can always pull your citizens off the board. So if you really get stuck in a bind and you're out of influence, the nice situation is if you can pull those guys who are lying on their belly crying... You can grab those guys for free, but also if you really have to, especially in those last turns of the game, pull them out of the red, white, or yellow box. You probably don't need them in that box anymore, especially if it's that last turn. Don't forget, you can always pull the citizens from anywhere off the board to put them somewhere else for free beating events like i said if you let all those events pile up as a whole group uh you're going to be in for some shorter rounds as those barbarians are going to knock out most of your dice but when you do take on those events look at the events and say which of these events does it most benefit me to get rid of if there's the one there that steals money from people and you have a great tradesman that allows you to earn a lot of money let those peons suffer Make them pay their money, because you're getting plenty of money. You have a way to get money, and they don't. I would say in my Mr. T voice that I pity the fool who don't have a way to earn money, but I'm not allowed to use silly voices in this episode. And lastly, especially as you're getting near that end of the game, don't forget about those character cards. Remember, everyone's character card is going to score for everyone. Know their scoring levels, You can max out, and if you know that the influence guy scores at 5, 10, and 15, you might know that, all right, i got to sit at that 10 level, or I want to get up to that 15 level. Look at those cards on the player aid so you know where those scoring levels are. And especially at the end, the last couple rounds, you should really be able to determine what the other players are going for based on their position. Do they have a lot of cubes in the cathedral? Do they have a lot of money? Do they have a lot of event cards? And from that, sort of help that guide your last actions in trying to score just a few more points. And lastly, you got to come up with some plan for scoring points. Are you going to go hard into the cathedral? Are you going to beat a lot of events? Ah! Or are there a couple tradesmen there that allow you to convert into victory points? What is your method that you're going to use to score points? Because scoring points wins the game, and you need a plan for doing so. Of course, the wonderful thing is the number of different paths you can go down to score those points. And with those different tradesmen, those different paths can change with each game. So I hope you enjoyed this explanation, and I hope you enjoy your first few games of Twa. Good luck. And have fun part four footnotes okay let's finish this guy off with some very important vegetables so if you're the person running this game here are those little rules that are important and may come up during the game Remember that you can't use your tradesman abilities to fight events. You might have charge cubes to help you pump up your dice. Can't do that when you're fighting those event cards with the black dice. Can't do it. You also can't, and this makes me a little bit sad, you can't combo tradesman abilities. You can only use one charge cube per action. I I thought it would be neat to be able to use like four different ones and just supersize your dice and make them like have an action with 40 pips, but uh, they, they don't let you do that. They're no fun. Also, a lot of the ones that let you pump up the dice and let you get extra pips, you can't use those when you're going in to get a die, when you're going into the yellow, white, or red boxes, and you have to have a specific number. You can't pump up the dice with a charge cube to get the specific number to get that die. Remember that if your guys get kicked out they're lying on their belly you can grab them in that same turn and use them for something else but remember the guys lying on their belly protect you from getting another guy kicked out so if you pull that guy out then you're at your own risk of getting another guy kicked out the thing a lot of people miss is that even though there's two spots on each of those tradesman cards you are allowed to have a third or a fourth guy on that card to use that ability uh, but just that those other guys aren't going to score any points Remind your players of that. They may miss that. Remember I said that you can pull a tradesman, you can pull a citizen from anywhere, either the red, white, or yellow boxes, or the ones that you've already paid for as tradesmen. When you pull guys from uh, the red, white, and yellow boxes that give you dice, you could get the unusual situation of having a hole in the board, in which case you're going to roll less than a total of 18 dice in that following round. And that's just fine. You just, you'll have a forbidden die. You'll take that and you'll put it to the side and it'll just be a dead die until somebody claims that spot. And if someone pulls a citizen off of their tradesman, then you'll have a victory point slot that is open. Now there's no like sliding in like the guy who was there in the second place slides up to the first place. No, it doesn't happen that way. You just open up this juicy spot and someone has the ability to take that in a following action. But nobody moves in those victory point slots. Remember with event cards, when there's a tie and people are scoring points, you add the points and you round down. Uh, remember somebody has to get that card in case somebody has the special card character in order to see if there was a tie for first place and who gets the card the person who played the first cubes will get the card now there is one unusual event I will talk about and that is the support event it is actually the only one that doesn't do something really particularly nasty to you except for steal a couple victory points the support event helps fight off the next two events to the left. So you take a gray cube, actually a neutral cube, and you put it on a flag on each of those events. Now that's good because it helps you take those events down, but it's bad in the fact that those gray cubes count for the scoring. So if you want first place, you have to have more than the gray cubes. And if you tie with the gray cubes, you have to split the points with the imaginary gray player. The last thing I would say is that the number of citizens are limited, so you could possibly run out of those. You only each get 12. And finally, there is no tiebreaker in this game. If two of you win the game, you should hold hands and sing Kumbaya as joint winners. And that's it. That's all I'm going to do with Trois. It's quite a heavy game. It was quite a long episode, so I will leave it at that. My final announcement would be we did a nice two-part session of discussion on ludology about dice games and the evolution of dice games and talking about some of our favorite dice games. So if dice games really interest you, we we got into a lot of interesting discussion on looking at the ups and downs and some of the the best dice games out there. So if dice games are something that you're interested in and just want to hear me blather on a bit more about my favorite topic of games with someone more intelligent than myself, Jeff Engelstein, you should hop over there to ludology.net or subscribe on itunes to the ludology podcast and check out all of the other members of the dice tower network i know that we've got dragon strikes videos on board now on board games little metal dog show and some little show known as the Dice Tower. So go listen and support those shows as well. This game was chosen by the listeners. If you want to help choose a game for an upcoming episode of How to Play, go over to the How to Play Guild and find the link to the How to Play Request Geek List and vote on your favorites or add some suggestions to that list. But that's all for toi. I can't wait till next month when those silly voices will be back with a vengeance. And last but not least, a shout out to How to Play supporters. The 615 of you, I can't believe that. We are the number three largest guild on BoardGameGeek. That's great. Watch out, Nicholson. We're coming for you. I've also got 25 people who took the time to rate me on iTunes and eight people who have written reviews. So thank you to you. And about 40 of you who have helped pay the cost for this show by making a PayPal donation. I'm not making any money here, but these people have helped me to break even. And you're so nice. I better thank you by name, at least by first name. Thank you to Chris, Alejandro, Dean, Brett, Mark, Gerald, Edwin, Frank, Thomas, Costas, Michael, Matthew, William, Robert, Tor, Glenn, Quality Time Games, Matthew again, you donated twice, you rule, Mark again, Christy, Marty, Paul, Stuart, Massimilano, Hope I got that right. Matthew, again, are you serious? Three times? You're my heroes. Stefan, Luca, Stuart, Michael, Eugene... Bay Y, Scott, Michael, Paul, Harold, Paul, Michael, Michael, Brian, Michael, 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 Rob, Robin, Michael again. Mike Amos has made several contributions to the show, especially early on. He was one of my first big supporters, and, and I've named this microphone the Michael microphone after my friend Michael Amos, who I believe is in Minnesota. So thank you to all of you. And if you're a long-time listener, please consider making a contribution. Maybe I'll even say your name and you'll be immortalized forever in podcast history. Ooh. And maybe then I can buy 3,000 more sound effects. Or maybe some of those games that you're hoping that I will do that I don't have in my collection yet, or food for my baby to eat. That would that would be good too. So thanks again. I'm gonna turn this microphone off and bid you all a great month of gaming. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Ryan Stern of the How to Play podcast. One, two, three, four. This has been Ryan Stern for the How to Play podcast. How to Play is written, recorded, edited, produced, promoted, and financed by Ryan Stern. How to Play is not affiliated with any game vendor or game company. If you like How to Play podcast, I count on you to support it. You can help out by joining and participating in the guild, donating financially to the show, writing reviews or rating the show on iTunes. Help talk up the show in your game group or on the forums Board game geek. We have no contests, no gimmicks, no advertisements, no plugs to game websites or companies. All of the show's content is free of all bias, save for one, my own. And that is due to your own continuing support. Please consider supporting the show in some way today. I love to hear feedback from you, and I can be contacted through our discussion forum on the Guild at BoardGameGeek. Or I can be emailed at howtoplaypodcast@msn.com. at msn.com. This podcast's home on the web is www.howtoplaypodcast.com. Thanks again, everybody. And until next time, I hope you will learn, teach, and play great games. Thanks for listening. The How to Play podcast is part of the Dice Tower Network, the premier board gaming media network featuring Ludology and the flagship podcast, The Dice Tower. For more information on these shows and much more, please visit www.thedicetower.com. Well, I managed to use about 37 of my sound effects so far, so you have 2,963 more to look forward to, but personally, I just can't get enough of this one. yar,